Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Key Life Fellowship Men's Bible Study. Pastor Kirk Hall is continuing his expository teaching through the Roman Epistle. Our prayer is that God would use this time to help you continue to grow in your faith. Now let's open our Bibles as the Holy Spirit unveils God's truth to our hearts. All right, you guys go ahead and open your Bibles. Romans chapter 13, if you're not already there, if you've been here in this study with us, you're probably already there. You know where we are. We are actually going to finish Romans chapter 13 tonight um, in our lesson and our time together. And we'll actually be closing out this section that started in Romans chapter 12 where we know that Paul told us to uh, present ourselves as, as a living sacrifice. And then he went in to telling us what that sacrifice looks like and what our relationships should look like in this world, in this dark and fallen world that we live in. I don't know about you, but I find myself very convicted about the things that I have learned in in my relationship to others and how that's supposed to look as a born-again believer, as the Spirit is sanctifying us. We should be concerned with those things. And as we said, He started showing us these things in detail when we started chapter 12. We've gone all the way through 12. Now, we're in 13. We've seen what our relationship to God ought to look like. Uh, that living sacrifice, what our relationship to other believers should look like, to others in general, even to our enemies, right? He, he told us how, just as Christ did, we're to show love to our enemies, and we're to do good to those who do bad to us, and to not return evil with evil, but to return evil with good. So we saw about the, the relationship we should have to our enemies last week, we learned about our relationship to the government. What is that supposed to look like? And then finally tonight as we close out 13, he's going to give us instructions about loving and living in a dark world. He's going to kind of sum all of this up for us in a nice, really easy to understand way. This is one of those lessons as we've had, because Paul is a very good teacher and he's very clear. This another one of those lessons that you can read the text and say amen and close out. Uh, but I'm going to endeavor to um, maybe add some things, not to the Scripture, but some things for your thoughts uh, so that you can go away from this and learn how to practically apply uh, what he's going to teach us here in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14 as he closes this section out. So, let's read that together. We will pick up right where we left off. We left off there in 7, and we move to 8. And he says, let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Where have we heard this before? If we study the Scripture any amount of time at all, we're going to come across Jesus' teaching on this. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. He goes on, he says, Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. We'll talk about what that means. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Not in dissensions and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Paul is going to give us these final instructions here. It kind of seems interesting there how he tells the church as he's writing them a letter not to participate in drunkenness and sexual immorality immorality and orgies and debauchery. Right? That seems like common sense. But remember this. The church that he's writing to is in the Roman culture at this time. We've learned a little bit about the Roman culture. This is the Roman culture. Drunkenness and orgies and debauchery and all the things that we can think of as sinful. 
what Paul is saying, and we'll get to this in detail, he's saying, don't let the darkness of the culture trip you up. We know there is a danger in our age because, frankly, when I became a Christian 30-something years ago, people were convicted about things that you hardly see conviction about at all. One being drunkenness, even in our culture. Now we see this decline in this dark world that we live in. We see this decline and this acceptance even in the church of things that the church, even in our lifetimes, didn't accept. So we're going to see how do we relate to that? How, how do we live and, and how do we continue to love in this dark world that we are passing through in our time that's here? Paul gives us these final instructions. Verses 8 through 10. He starts with love. And he talks about fulfilling the debt of love. He said, he says in verse 8, let no man, let no debt, excuse me, remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. We look at this, and, and Paul is teaching us something here about the debt of love. Now, what a lot of people like to do, they like to take this verse 8, and they like to apply this to, you shouldn't borrow money. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the debt of love. Remember, this is in its context. And in its context, he is letting us know that we are indebted to love Every single human being, whether we like them, whether we agree with them, right? Even last week, we're to respect the government. We're to show them the honor and the respect that they're due. I know it's tough, right? Especially in our time. But he's telling us this as he moves on, the importance of love, fulfilling the debt of this love that we have. We're going to see why we have this debt. He says the commandments do not Commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet. Please notice when we read those things, he's talking about sins that we commit against other people. These are the commands where we actually violate our neighbor. Now we know this, we're sinning against God. We're actually violating another human being. He says, here are these commands, think about these commands. And whatever, whatever other commandment there may be, whatever else that you can see in Scripture, that's defined as sin or wrong towards someone else. He says they are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So what Paul is saying here is that we must show the love of Christ to everyone without exception and without limit. It's tough, isn't it? Right? We just thought that, we just thought that obeying the government and their authority was tough. He's saying love everyone without exception, without limit. Jonathan Edwards said it like this. He said, there are people who love those who agree with them and admire them, but have no time for those who oppose and dislike them. A Christian's love must be universal. What a statement. We don't, we don't get to pick and choose who we love or why we love them or the amount of love that we are to give to them. Paul says... Let that debt of love remain outstanding. You're never going to love enough. You're never going to pay that off. How many of you understand the love that you have received from God in Christ? We can't measure that love. And this is the kind of love that we are to show other people. So we can show other people this kind of love our entire life and never fully be paid off on the amount of love that we have received that we are due to show other people. That's what Paul's getting at here. And he's telling us that we ought to do this because it's commanded by God. Please know that. Uh, loving others is not an option. Jesus made that very clear when He was on the earth. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. You've all read it, I hope. It says this in verse 37 of 22. It says, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Very important, right? Because we know this. That's where love really starts. We know that we can only really love God, as John says in his epistle, because He first loved us. So if we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, we know this. We know that we can only do that because He first loved us and gave Himself for us in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We know that. He says this is the first and greatest commandment. Verse 39, and the second is like it. Here's the second. Pay attention to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. You want to be completely 100% 
in obedience to the Decalogue. We know the Decalogue in our time as the Ten Commandments. Right? God didn't erase those. That's still God's standard. Still God's desire that He raise up a people for Himself that's obedient to those things. Now, we know this. Obeying the law does not justify us. If, if, you, if you think that, you didn't read the whole first part of Romans. But because we have been justified and the Holy Spirit lives in us, we are being sanctified to be obedient to the things of God. And I love that Jesus simplifies it. Love God with all you have. Right? I promise you this. That's going to cover the first few commandments, right? Having gods before Him, making idols for yourself, graven images, using the Lord's name in vain. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's going to show in the fact that you don't do those things, right? Because by nature, you're not going to do those things because you have a new nature, which has been, we know, purchased for us in Christ, and the Spirit is doing that work in us. He goes on and he talks about our love for others right after that. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's interesting, isn't it? As yourself. Now, if we really actually put that into practice, would we, would we be more effective or less effective as witnesses here on this earth? I guarantee you we'd be more effective. People would see the way that we love them, that we love them in spite of them, just like God loved us in spite of us. They would take note of that. Man, this person loves me, and I'm not very unlovable at all. And, and I've been mean, and I've been ugly, and I've been ungracious to them, but they've been kind They've been gracious and they've been merciful to me and forgiving something different about this person. That's why Jesus commands us to do that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this sums up the law and the prophets. When you do this, Paul is reiterating the same thing. He's saying when you do this, you're going to fulfill God's commands. And what an honor it is. Did you know this? Before we were in Christ, we could not be obedient to the commands of God. But because of Christ, we now have the indwelling Holy Spirit in us who is leading us to obedience in what God has commanded us to do. We can actually be obedient to the things that we could not do in our own sinful flesh. So now we can. Thanks be unto God through Jesus Christ. We see that it's commanded that we fulfill the debt of love to others. First John chapter 4, verse 21, John says, And He has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's interesting, isn't it? Some of you right now have family members you don't even talk to because you're holding a grudge. You need to check to see if your love for God is really sincere. You have coworkers who you don't talk to because you had an argument about something. Something trivial, trivial that didn't really matter. You need to check yourself. You need to see, is my love for God enough to love my neighbor like the Word of God commands me to do? Paul is reminding the church this is nothing new. He's reminding them to fulfill the debt of love. Nothing new to us. I'm reminding you tonight. I'm reminding myself tonight to fulfill the debt of love. Because of the love that we have received from God, let's love others with that same kind of love. So we see it's first commanded by God. Secondly, it leads us into obedience to God's other commands. It leads us into obedience, just like we said. If you're really loving other people and fulfilling God's command to love, if you're doing that, it's going to lead you into obedience. You're not going to steal from your neighbor. You're not going to covet your neighbor. You're not going to commit adultery with your neighbor's wife. You're not going to murder your neighbor. You guys see how all this works? You see how Jesus brought this to fulfillment? He loved us first. We love Him in return. And because we truly love Him, we love others. And now, before you know it, we're walking in obedience to what God has commanded of us in regard to other people. Loving them. Fulfilling the debt of that love that He has called us to do. It fulfills the law. We see that. He says, and loving, loving your brother, your neighbor like this fulfills the law. You say, well, I thought Jesus fulfilled the law. He did. Didn't He? Isn't that what Scripture says? He came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And He did fulfill the law, right? Through His righteousness. That righteousness was imputed to us, but that righteousness is being imparted by the Holy Spirit to us so that we can now live out the fulfillment of what Jesus did. That's why the early church, they called them Christians. They referred to them as little Jesuses. They saw them living righteous lives, right? Didn't Jesus say that? Do your good deeds before men. Why? So they may see your good deeds and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. So we see that Jesus, yes, fulfilled the law in our place so that we could fill the law practically. So we've seen this many times over in Paul's teaching. 
He fulfilled the law positionally so that we can now be obedient to the law practically. We can now, because we have been justified, not trying to be justified by our love and our works, but because we have been justified, we can now live out what Jesus has already accomplished. Fulfilling the law. Fulfilling the prophets. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is God's desire for His children. You know that even in the New Testament, it's God's desire for His children to be obedient to His commands. In fact, James tells us this. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 8. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, He says this, Love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. You want to know if you're really living the Christian life according to Scripture? Ask yourself this basic elementary question. Am I loving my neighbor? Am I loving everyone? Fulfilling the debt of love that God's Word has commanded me to fulfill. We owe it to the lost world. That's what he's saying. We owe it to the lost world to show them the love of Christ, which we have so undeservingly received. Did did any of us here deserve the love that we've received? But don't we find ourselves often as Christians waiting for the world to somehow deserve our love? Waiting for our family members to somehow deserve our love? We're not to wait until someone deserves love. Paul is making it very clear here. They don't deserve love just like you didn't deserve love. Love them like God loves them. How did God love us? And how does He love us? In spite of us. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever wake up any morning of your life and say, man, I deserve the love of God. I'm such a good, righteous, upstanding person. I mean, God owes it to me to love me. And I tell you this, God is not indebted to you. He chose to love you. Because He chose to love you, He is now saying this, you Choose to love all of those who you come in contact with. That ought to be the thing that separates us and distinguishes us from the lost world. Our love for other people. That genuine love that comes because the fact that we were first loved by God in Christ. So, fulfill the debt of love. The second instruction that he gives us is found in verse 11. And do this. He says, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. He's saying, love, do this. and Do it for this reason. We see that we are instructed to fulfill the debt of love, but we also see the instruction to find determination to love. He says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. What is he even talking about? Doesn't this seem so out of place if you don't put it where it belongs? He's saying this. Here is our reason for love. Here's where you find determination. Here's where you find the drive to love. Let's be honest. Would anyone here agree with me or am I the only person who struggles in this area? Is it sometimes difficult to love everyone? Right? It is sometimes difficult to love everyone. We would be liars to say anything other than that. But we have to find that determination to love them. And Paul's going to give us that determination, the thing that ought to drive us. In fact, he gave it to us here. He moves into some things that you would initially think, well, this seems kind of out of place in a lesson on loving others. He moves into some eschatological things, right? Some, some end time things that salvation is coming and it's nearer than it once was, saying that Christ is going to come back and he's going to come back soon. And so we need to pay attention to these things that salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Isn't that a very important concept? People ask all the time, do you think the the end is near? It's nearer today than it was yesterday. It'll be nearer tomorrow if He graces with tomorrow than it was today. We have to find determination in that. That's what Paul is saying. These factors that he listed there, 11 in the first part of 12, he said, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, for being apathetic and complacent and lazy. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Now, remember, he's writing to the church. He's telling the church, wake up from your apathy. Wake up from your complacency. 
Because we have work to do. He's letting them know this. We have to show the love of God in Christ to others because time is ticking away. Time is ticking. Today you are closer to the return of Christ and salvation being fulfilled and you being glorified than you were yesterday. And we must show the love of Christ to others while we are still here and we still have time to do it. James chapter 4, verse 14, James says this, Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We, we don't know what is in store for us. Our life is just a mist. Some of you, your translation says a vapor. It's that picture of that steam that rises out of the pot and you see that white puff of smoke and then immediately it's gone. That is our life as defined by the Scriptures. And so time is ticking. We have a short amount of time, and we have a short amount of time to do what? Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. You want motivation to love people? You want motivation to make relationships right because of Christ and what He's done for you? Here's your motivation. You may not have tomorrow. You may not have next week. You may not have next month. Some of you may need to pick up the phone and make some phone calls tonight. You may, to, may need to leave here and go to some in-person visits and say, Brother, our, our relationship hasn't been what it should be. You may need to go home to your wife who you haven't spoken to because you're, you're at odds with each other. And you may need to reconcile some things even this very night to show them the love of God which is found only in Christ. Why? Time's ticking. Psalm 102, verse 3, the psalmist says this, For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. He said, I'm nothing. My days vanish like smoke. Those of you who are my age and older, you know this. Time flies, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Man, it's just a puff of smoke. Time is ticking. We have to be determined to show love to others because we don't have a lot of time to do it. you got one life to do it, and that one life is a puff of smoke. What are you doing with it? Are you showing love to your neighbor as you should? Time is ticking. But the second thing is the world's dark. The world is dark. Scripture doesn't try to hide this. The only thing that's going to bring light to darkness is the light of Jesus Christ. His love being poured into their darkness. Time is ticking, but the world is dark. That ought to motivate us, right? What is the only thing that will cancel out darkness? Light. And those of you who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, you are indwelt with His light. And that light is in you because He loved you in spite of you. Now it is our duty to go out into this world and to shine that light into the darkness of others so that they can see the hope that we have in Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Love them. And shine the light of Christ into them. And in doing so, they are going to glorify God. I promise you, it won't be long when you begin to love someone that they are going to inquire of the hope that you have in Christ. They are going to say, what is different? What is different about Him? He's changed. He's not the man that I used to know. Something has changed. When they ask you, tell them that something is Christ and the love that God poured out through Christ. The fact that He demonstrated His love for me in that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. I'm going to love you and express that to them. I'm going to love you from this point forward in spite of you. There's nothing that you can ever do to make me not love you again. Aren't you thankful that that's God's attitude toward us? Aren't you? Shouldn't that be the same attitude that we have to let our light, the love of Jesus Christ, shine in this dark world? Lord knows they need it. What a dark place that we live in. What a dark time that we live in. It's our duty. It is our commission as born-again believers to shine that light into this lost, hurting, dying world. To show them the love of Christ. How do we show them the love of Christ? We love them. We love them with it. Be conscious of that. Be determined to do that. If you don't have determination yet, he said, time's ticking. The world's dark. The only hope of light that they have, what's you guys? 
It's you men with the light of Jesus Christ that you're hiding under a bushel basket right now that I pray tonight you leave here and you remove the bushel basket so that the lost and hurting world can see the light of Christ through the way that you love them, through the way that you treat them. But if that's not enough to motivate you, to drive you, to give you determination to love others, the Lord's return is imminent. He makes that very clear. The Lord's return is imminent. It's nearer now than when you first believed. He said, and do this understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. He's making it very clear of the imminency of the return of Christ, the glorification of the believers, the salvation that He is going to bring with Him, the reward that He is going to bring, which is that salvation. We talked about this many times, right? We are saved. Justification. We're being saved. Sanctification. And we will be saved, which is glorification. And we know that is what we long for. That is what we wait for. Or better yet, that is who we long for. And who we wait for. Christ is going to return to fulfill that promise that He made in eternity past. That ought to motivate us knowing that His return is imminent. Let me ask you this. How would you feel if you withheld love from someone who you know you should have given love and Christ returned with you holding on to not loving that person? Well, it's a very real question, isn't it? I know I want to be obedient to Scripture. I want to be found doing His will when He returns. I want to be found doing what He's called me to do. And I assure you this, man, we see it right here in Romans chapter 13. He's called us to love. If He returned today, would we be found loving everyone? Would we be found loving everyone, as Jonathan Edwards said, universally? Not based on your skin color, not based on your economical status, not based on what we like or we don't like, or what party you voted for or didn't vote for whether we agree with your morality or whether we don't, will we be found loving our neighbor as ourselves? Because that is what we have been commanded to do. Not love our neighbors as we think is right in the moment, but to love our neighbors as ourselves. So He tells us to find determination in those things. The fact that time is ticking, the world is dark, and the Lord's return is imminent. We've got to find that drive and that determination from those truths. Let those things motivate you. I promise you this. I wake up every day. Lord, thank You for another day. May Your will be done in my life. May I live my life like it's my last day. In case it is. Whether that be that the Lord takes me out of this earth, whether it be that the Lord returns to glorify His people, whatever the case, Lord, let me be found doing your will. I can say this. There's been lots of times in my life I couldn't have prayed that because I knew the answer, right? I wasn't in His will. But what a peace it is to know. I'm in Your will. In case tonight, at midnight, You call us home. I met You with no animosity in my heart toward anyone else. Being obedient to the command to love. Find your determination in those things. Paul goes on to the next bit of instruction here in the second part of 12. He says in 12, the second part, the first part, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Underline it. We'll talk about that in a second. Put on the armor of light. Let us not behave. Let us not behave or let us, excuse me, behave decently as in the daytime, not in the orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy. He's not telling them anything that they shouldn't already know. He's reminding them of what they have been set free from. So we see that the third element of his teaching in this passage is this. We've seen to fulfill the debt of love, to find determination to love, and then flee the deeds of darkness. He's instructing the believers there at Rome to flee the deeds of darkness. No matter what culture says, no matter what everybody else is accepting, 
aren't we pressured now to accept what everybody else is accepting? Whatever's popular, that's what we need to do too, right? No, wrong. He's telling us to flee the deeds of darkness. To leave those things. To drop those things. That's what you once were. That's not what you are any longer. So we see that we are to flee those things by laying them aside. Putting those things down. He says, so let us put them aside. That term, put them aside, is letting them go. Some of you guys must be honest with yourself. There's some deeds of darkness in your life that you need to let go as a believer. The Spirit is convicting you of those things. Not part of this lesson, but let me warn you. Those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines and He chastens with a rod. It's time that you put those things aside. Lay them down. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Paul speaks of this. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We are to put off the old. We are to clothe ourselves with the new. How many of you understand that? We have a new nature in Christ. That new nature is being developed in us through the sanctification process by the indwelling Holy Spirit. He is making us into those new creations that Christ died for us to be. We know this. We died with Christ. We are buried with Christ. We are raised to new life in Christ. So we see that. Positional, res- positional resurrection now being lived out in practical resurrection. We are now living it out through the active and seen new life that we are living. And in this, we are fleeing from the dark things of this world, laying them aside, getting rid of them. We must flee those things by laying them aside. He goes on, not only that, by walking in the light. He says and uses that term, the armor of light. What is he talking about? The armor of light is speaking of practical righteousness. We've learned about practical righteousness way back in our section where we began talking about sanctification. But he's speaking on this practical righteousness again. The armor of light. He's saying, put on these things. Doing what you know is right. First John. John says this, chapter 1, verse 6. He says, if we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus His Son purifies us from all sin. What an assurance. What an assurance He gives us. He says, if, if you're walking in the light, You know this, that you're walking in light because you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is what has purified you. And if you're still walking in darkness, your continual habitual lifestyle is defined by your darkness. You're not letting that go and you're not fleeing from that. You're not convicted of that. He says, you're not of the light. And So some of you men need to examine your heart. You need to examine your life tonight. Am I of the light? Am I walking in the light? Do I have access to the armor of light, that practical righteousness? Because I can promise you this, if if you've not been led into positional righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ, you're never going to have practical righteousness that gives you that armor that you need as light in this dark world. So we see, he says, flee the deeds of darkness by laying them aside, not wanting those things, detaching yourself from them, letting them go, leaving them behind. And then by walking in the light, This is that positive replacement stuff that we ought to think about, right? Hey, I once stole with these hands when I was in darkness. Now I'm going to learn to trade and I'm going to work and I'm going to do something that's productive to provide for my family and to bring God honor and glory while I'm here. Those are those practical works of righteousness that we have to clothe ourselves. And when we clothe ourselves with those things, we are arming ourselves with light. So that when we walk out into the darkness, the darkness is not going to devour us, but our light that is being lived out in us, our armor is actually going to expose the darkness all around us. We know how this works if we walk with Christ any amount of time. We have to walk in the light, the armor of His light. And then we must flee by identifying sin as sin. You're never going to flee from sin until you identify as what it is. Call it by name. (laughs) 
We know we live in a culture that does not want to call sin, sin. They don't want to call sin by name. We must identify sin as sin. Paul lists specific sins right here in 13. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies, in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. And he doesn't say this, but we can understand this from all of his other teaching or anything else that's going to bring reproach upon the name of God. He's telling us to leave those things. Those are things that ought not to be a part of our lives as Christians. He's actually calling us to holy living. Can you believe it? He's calling us to holy living. You remember when it was a time it was acceptable in the church? And now it's kind of, man, if you try to live a holy life, well, man, they're going to look at you crazy, even in a church environment. I pray not this church. That ought to be our heart as believers. Flee darkness. Not want anything to do with it. Many of you have heard me refer to the book. I will refer to the book again. The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. To mortify and to crucify your very flesh. To hate the darkness so much that you want nothing to do with it. In order to do that, in order to flee the deeds of darkness, you've got to identify them for what they are. Isn't it hard in today's gray world? Right? No, no one really knows what sin is anymore. Right? Because everybody's going around trying to take their sin and justify it somehow. We see all the stuff. Right? Well, sin to you might not be sin to the other person. Hey, I want to help all of you. Can I help you? As believing men. You listen? If it has ever been sin to God, it is still sin to God. Therefore, it is sin to you. Everybody get that? Clear. It's not hard. It's not difficult. And he's saying this, flee from those things. You were saved from the darkness. Don't run back into it. Don't pick it back up. What you were saved from. That ought to be the thing that you detest the most. Your sin nature. I promise you this, you want to see holiness in your life? Learn to hate your flesh. Learn to hate your flesh. Learn to realize it is your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. If you really love Him, you're going to take that statement serious. It was Kirk Hall's iniquity that pegged Jesus to the cross. It was my sin that He endured the punishment for in my place. I promise you this, when you think of it that way, the next time you go to walk and dabble in darkness as a believer, and conviction doesn't set in, you might want to check and see if the Holy Spirit really lives in you, if you really are truly a believer at all. Because I can promise you this, there's not a real believer in all the world, there never has been, there never will be, who can walk in darkness and enjoy it. The Holy Spirit will not let you enjoy what Jesus Christ shed His precious blood to rescue you from. Oh, you can play like you're enjoying it. We've all been there, haven't we? But you're not really enjoying it. I said just this last Sunday, the most miserable person in the world is not a lost person who's destined for hell. The most miserable person in the world is a saved person who knows better and is walking and picking up those old things that they know that they ought not to touch any longer. So flee from darkness. Paul wants us to understand that. It's very important as we're looking at loving and living in a dark world. Just because we're in this world doesn't mean we are to be of this world. In fact, we are commanded the exact opposite. We are commanded. Be in the world, but not to be of the world. In fact, God's Word is very clear. If you love the world still, the love of the Father is not in you. If the love of the Father is not in you, you can't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're definitely not going to love your neighbor as yourself. You're definitely not going to walk in the light instead of darkness. You need to examine yourself this evening. Flee the deeds of darkness by laying them aside, by walking in the light. By identifying sin as sin. Calling it what it is. Not trying to justify it as the world does. Next thing. Verse 14 as we wrap this up. He goes on to verse 14. He says, rather, instead of walking in darkness. Aren't you thankful that he gives you an option? <laughs> it would be horrible if there was no other option. But he uses the word rather. Instead of. We know what that means. Instead of. Walking in all of these immoral things that you used to walk in, instead of walking in the darkness, rather, he says, 
clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I want to stop for a second. He says, do not think about how to gratify those things. Now, how many of you know you've walked with Christ long enough to know your flesh hadn't gone anywhere? He's still there. Right? We know this. We must crucify or mortify that old man so that we are obedient and walking in the new man. Rather, clothe, your, clothe yourself with the, the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Remember when you were lost and all you did was sit around and think about how to gratify the desires of your sinful nature? What can I do next? It's going to thrill my flesh. Bring me earthly pleasure. What sin can I conjure up? He's saying don't have that attitude any longer. He gives us instructions here to focus on the desires of Christ. Focus on the desires of Christ. What would Christ do? What would Christ have us do? Watch this. What did Christ give us as an example? We oftentimes say, hey, Christ is our example, but we don't look to Him as our example. Is He our our example of how we're to live our lives, or is He not? How many of you would say, He's our example? In fact, we are to live just as Christ lived. That's what He saved us to do. So rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how you can gratify or how to gratify the desires of sinful nature. He starts with being clothed in righteousness. Our focus on Christ. What drives us to righteousness. Focusing on Him. His example. His desires. His will. I want to make this clear to all of you. Jesus Christ has not hidden His will from any of you who are in Christ. He wants you to know His will. You know what His will for each of you is? It's real simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And in that, you will be obedient to everything that He has commanded His children to do. He wants your obedience. He hasn't changed His mind about that. So our, fo- our focus and our drive ought to be Christ. His will, His desire, His commands, His teaching, His example. Because those who are truly focused on Christ will be clothed in righteousness. Now, the point here is, is the continually, continuing, ongoing sanctification process that we're in. We are being clothed in righteousness. It is every day saying, no, I'm not going to put on the garments of filth that I once wore. He's using this analogy on purpose. I'm not going to clothe myself with darkness. I'm going to clothe myself with Christ. I'm going to put on Christ and His righteousness during this time as we wait for His appearing. During this sanctification process, Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this. I'm going to read a bunch of verses, so get ready. Chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What are those things? In case you didn't know, he clears it up for us. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Verse 6 says, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Verse 7, I love it. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Yes, I did. Yes, you did. But now, right? Because you say you're in Christ. But now, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Y'all pay attention to these men. Be set apart. Be different. Let me say that's what we want. We, we want to be different. We want to be set apart for Christ because He's done so much for us. I mean, you say that's me. Watch what He says it looks like. He says, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger. That's even toward your wife and your kids. Rage. Malice. Slander. And filthy language. I have people ask me all the time, man, is it, is it bad to cuss? I don't know, what did it just say? Huh? Yeah, I think it, I think it covers that in Scripture. Filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other that you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in, in knowledge in the image of its Creator. Saying so you put on, you've taken off the old and, and those things that I've just told you define your old. You put on the new and since you have done that, please understand the seriousness of this. He says here there's neither Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, skeeven, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Wow. A lot of times we read over that. 
miss out what he's saying. If Christ is all, and in all of us who are in Christ, he does. We're going to take off the old. We're going to put on the new. Because Christ is our all. He's everything to us. The problem is, is a lot of people claim Christ just as a good luck charm. Not as everything. He's everything to us. We will be concerned about what He's teaching here. About the new life that He died for us to have. That He rose so that we can have. Therefore, as God's chosen people. Right? Did, did we learn earlier on in Romans that we're chosen by God? We, we talked about monergism. The fact that God chose us, we didn't choose Him. Paul made that very clear. So if that's true, and it is, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, here we go, we see that word clothe again. Paul liked that, didn't he? Clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What did he just say? Take off your old clothes. Put on the new one. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Well, I'd forgive them, but they don't deserve it. Neither did you. Well, I'd forgive them, but they, they hadn't come to me begging for it. Neither did you. He died for you while you were still in your sin to offer you forgiveness. And over all these virtues, watch what he says. Man, this sounds like all this is making sense together. He says, over all these virtues, put on love. That's what he covered first. And how we're to live in darkness, in the darkness of this world, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, and a high school football coach who would say this verse before every single football game, that we would play. He was a believer. He would remind us. When you're out there on the field, whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I'll never forget that. That verse has stuck with me all these years. In word or deed. In everything that I'm doing. Am I doing this in the name of the Lord Jesus? What that means is, am I doing this as I am reflecting Christ in my life? In word or deed. The things you say and the things that you do. So we see Paul is teaching us in Romans and then reiterating this as we cross-reference Colossians to focus on the things that Christ desires. That we be clothed in righteousness so that we can point others to Christ by our changed Lives so that they can see a difference in us. Clothed in righteousness, crucifying our flesh, crucifying that old nature. Galatians 5 covers this for us in 16. He says, So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Note what he didn't say there. He didn't say you won't have desires from your sinful nature. He said you won't gratify them. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. We know this. He's throwing that in there because he had some confusion there. The Galatian church where people are trying to go back and forth and they're arguing about whether we're justified by the law or not. We're not justified by the law. He's making that very clear. But we still live in obedience because we have been justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. 19, he says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Again, he's going to give us that list. What are they? Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Sounds a lot like the list that we just read in Colossians, doesn't it? Dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness, orgies. Orgies again. Man, these people had problems. We thought we were the only culture that had problems with sexual immorality, right? He's writing to the church and telling them that you need to get away from orgies, sexual immorality, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live like this, this defines your life. There ought to be a change, shouldn't there? Yeah, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that. Don't forget that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Interesting. Where he started here tonight in 9.13. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there, there is no law. He goes on and he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. He's again calling the believer to clothe yourself in righteousness, to crucify your flesh, to come out from the old, and to walk in the new. He is talking about something in, 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 in a tone that we don't talk about a lot in the New Testament church, and we should. When we focus on the desires of Christ, we'll be clothed in righteousness. We will be crucifying our flesh. But the third thing that I want you to see here is the one that we don't talk about a lot, and that is we will be consecrating ourselves unto God. Consecrating. That's an Old Testament word, but a very important word to the New Testament church. We are consecrating ourselves. We are being set apart. What does that even mean? First Peter chapter 1, verse 13, he says, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Christ is revealed. He's, again, motivating them by the fact the imminent return of Christ. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy. What does that word holy mean? Set apart. Consecrated. He says, just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now he borrows from the Old Testament. It was written in the Old Testament, be holy for I am holy, but it applies in the New Testament. It applies even more in the New Testament because now we have the resources by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, to actually live a life of consecration and separation from the world. The church doesn't even talk about this. They don't think about this. This isn't even important. Though Peter thought it was important enough to write to the church and say, remember what the Lord said even in the Old Testament, be holy, be set apart, be consecrated. Why? Because I, the Lord, am set apart and holy and consecrated. We have to take this very seriously, man. We cannot continue to look like the world and claim to be of Christ. It's an oxymoron. It's impossible. You can't do it. In fact, if you are defined by the world in your life, meaning this, your life consistently looks like the world, I'm going to break the news to you right now. You can say you heard it here first. You're still of the world. There ought to be an inward desire inside of you as a believer to be consecrated, to be set apart, to be different from what you once were. You were in darkness. He uses that contrast. Now you have been brought into marvelous light. There's no greater contrast that we know of, darkness and light. He uses those contrasting terms so that we understand we are to be that set apart. We are to be that different. We have to stop being afraid to live consecrated lives. You know that most people don't live consecrated lives for fear that others will ridicule them, call them holy rollers, laugh about their obedience to God and His Word. But I say this to you, God still desires a people set apart for His glory. That's the whole reason Jesus Christ came to this earth and He died. Let's not forget that. I know we've been tuned to think that the whole reason that He came is so that we can go to heaven. No, heaven is the eternal dwelling of the consecrated people. So we must take consecration seriously. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, he says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. We only use this when we talk about marriage, right? I'm going to bother you. It's not talking about marriage here at all, though that can be applied to marriage. He's talking about being yoked together with unbelievers in any aspect of our life. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, an idol? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Let me answer that for you. He's talking in rhetoricals as he loves to do. Here's the, here's the answer. Nothing. If you still have everything in common with your old friends, you're not new. Everybody get that? I'm tired of people dancing around that truth. 
He says you don't have anything in common with them. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. He's saying, I live inside of them. Do you take that seriously? Are we taking that seriously? That everywhere we go, everything we say, everything that we do, we bring God along with us. He says, therefore, because you are the temple of Christ, therefore come out from them and be separate. Says the Lord, come out from who? The unbelievers. He makes that very clear. It's not up for interpretation. Come out from the unbelievers. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He borrows from the Old Testament, gives a quote, and says God hadn't changed His mind about this. He still desires a consecrated, clean, holy people for His glory. When they look at us, they ought to see that we truly are sons of the living God, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ and changed. How are they going to see this? There is no consecration in our lives. If there is no setting apart, if there is no separation, we must make sure in our lives, men, and as we live in this dark world that we're loving as we're living, but that we're living according to the Word of God, according to what Jesus Christ has done for us. I can promise you this. If you're in Christ, who is light, you can't be in darkness. It's not going to work. So my prayer is this. My prayer is that those of you who might not have the assurance of salvation will really search your heart tonight. We've been challenged. We've been challenged tonight as Christians. We've been challenged if we're here and we're not Christians. We've been challenged as Christians to remain in Christian love and to show that love for everyone. That's a challenge, isn't it? And to run from all appearance of darkness. Did you know the Scripture still says to abstain from even the appearance of evil? If it even seems dark. Get out of there. We've been called to do that. So the Christian, this is some things that should weigh heavy on our hearts and our minds as we look at the end of this chapter here in 13. We ought to do this understanding that we're waiting on our Deliverer, Lord Jesus Christ. He will be revealed from heaven a second time and He will bring salvation and glorification to all who by faith have trusted in Him. But until then, We are to live in this dark world. We are to love others and shine the light of Jesus Christ into their lives. And we are to live a life that is consecrated from sin. To live a holy life. Again, I know it's not talked about very often. It's not promoted in churches. Right? We'd rather have convenience than holiness. Ouch. The truth. But God has called us to be holy because He is holy. He's called every one of you who claim faith in Him to come out and be set apart from this world. Set apart through your deeds. Set apart by the way that you love other people. I promise you, you love like Jesus loved. You live like Jesus lived. You will be light this dark and sinful world just as He died for you to be. May we be found, all of us, may we be found diligent in all of these areas that we have discussed tonight. May we take seriously the words that the Apostle Paul under the guidance of the Holy Spirit has laid out not only to the church at Rome 2,000 years ago, but to the church at Key Life Fellowship 2,000 years later, as we read those same words and know God has not changed His mind about any of them. Let's pray together. Lord, we love You. We thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the challenge of Your Word. We thank You for the power of Your Holy Spirit that You have placed in us. That we may be taught by You to love as You love. That we may be empowered by You with the same love that You had for us. That we may offer that love to those who maybe aren't deserving of that love or who are difficult to love, may we show that kind of love to them. And Lord, may we do this as we're living our lives separated, called out, consecrated, 
that they would see not only do we have a different kind of love, that we live a different kind of life. And may You stir their curiosity through us. That they may anxiously ask us, what is different about You? What is this hope that You have so that we will have the opportunity to share the glorious Gospel with them that they may come to know You as Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank You for this time. We thank You for each man who's here, for the homes that they represent. We pray a blessing over their lives as they seek to be holy for the Lord their God is holy. Teach us, Lord. Mold us. Make us into the men that You've died for us to be, Lord Jesus, that we would bring You glory and honor and praise. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you have grown through the teaching of God's Word. If you would like to find out more information about Key Life Fellowship, visit our website, keylifefellowship.com, or you can email us at info at keylifefellowship.org. We would love for you to join us in person. Our men's Bible study meets every Thursday night at 7 p.m. here at the Key Life Fellowship campus located in New Caney, Texas. Or feel free to join us at one of our Sunday worship services as well. As we conclude today's lesson, I will leave you with one reminder. Go out and be the light in a lost, dark world.